Brilliant. Should we pray? Father God, we thank you, Lord, just for this morning. Thank you, Lord, just for the privilege of worship. And we thank you for good news, Lord. Um, Lord, we, we recognize, actually, that good news follows bad news. And that, Lord, there are times when things go wrong, when things are difficult, when we wonder what's going on and what's next. And, Lord, in all this uh, situation with Phil, Lord, no doubt there have been many times when those questions have come. But, Lord, to see your hand move and finally move, Father, is wonderful. And then we have the benefit of uh, faithful hindsight to look back and say, there was God, there was God doing this, doing this at just the right time. And may, Lord, this morning be an encouragement for any here going through difficult times to know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate and that we can also stand in faith when things go wrong. And we thank you for that. And Lord, just be with us now as we look at those verses that may have read to us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that the words I say, Lord, will be what you need people to hear. That Father God, you will be speaking this morning. That Father God, we will all hear what we need to hear, even, Lord, if they're not said from my mouth. That, Lord, your spirit will speak the truth into each one of us, we pray. And we ask that you'll bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. And we were thinking about brokenness um, over the th- these three weeks. Last week, uh, we talked about loss, didn't we? Um, and all its various forms, not just in losing someone that you love uh, through death. We talked about um, different ways that you can feel loss and the effect that that can have on us. And, uh, and I know that was probably uh, that's quite touching. It's quite uh, a difficult thing to think through last week. And this week, we want to carry on thinking about brokenness in our lives um, and thinking about the idea of not fitting in, not belonging, being an outcast. Um, It seems to me that many of us uh, often feel alone in a crowd. Uh, It seems to me that it's pretty horrible when you feel you don't belong somewhere. It's really terrible when you're on the outside looking in. I think probably the loneliest place on planet Earth is when you're on the outside looking in. Uh, And I think to feel like an, an outcast, that you don't belong somewhere, is probably amongst the worst feelings I think a human being can probably experience. If you feel like an outcast, and let's face it, it can happen in all sorts of situations, can't it? You can be in a family environment, and you can feel like you're not quite the right sort of family member. You can be at school or at college, you can even be at church, and you can feel like you're the one on the edge. You're the one no one really quite likes as well as everybody else. You haven't got the history, you haven't got the same jokes, you don't like the same sports or whatever, you don't like sport at all, or whatever it might be, and you kind of feel like you're right on the edge, and you begin to think... I don't fit here, I don't fit there, and where do I actually fit? Where do I work? Where do I slot in to life? And it can be a very lonely place, uh, and many of us go through that. And when you're on the outside, when you feel like an outcast, uh, you perhaps begin to feel that people don't like you. Perhaps you begin to feel that people have taken a dislike to you. That's why they're not quite as friendly and uh, funny with you. Maybe you feel they're laughing at you. I remember when I first, uh, was my church in Chapel Heath, I ended up loving and becoming a real part of. I was very shy at about 11, believe it or not. I know you're shocked. Uh, maybe probably, probably 13, very shy and self-conscious, and I've retained that sense of uh, shyness now. Anyway, um, but I remember joining the church, and they'd all known each other for donkey's years. All lovely people. They, were, they didn't do anything wrong to me, but they all knew each other for donkey's years, and, uh, and I was the, the new guy. Do you know what I mean? They'd all grown up together, so every story they told, everything they did, oh, I remember that when we were six. I'm like, no. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just sat there, and actually what happened sometimes is if they laughed like a private joke, I immediately assumed they were laughing at me. Must be laughing at me. What are you laughing at? What is it, something on my face? You know, what is it? And, uh, and that's how when you're an outcast, actually everything just gets totally warped in your mind. You think people are laughing at you. You can feel feelings of anger in the strangest ways and towards the strangest people. You can feel hurt. You can feel vulnerable. You can feel very disconnected 
to what's going on around you. I want to show you a little video in a second. And uh, in this video, you may wonder why I'm showing it. It's actually a video, um, I don't want to call it an experiment, but it's, uh, it's revealing an important piece of research when it comes to attachment between a baby and a parent, in this case, a mother. And uh, what this um, video shows is that when a, when a parent doesn't engage with his or her child, you know, facially and verbally and, you know, and, and in that sort of two-way um, way, a child becomes very unattached to their parent and becomes, and it's quite a dangerous, vulnerable position to leave a child. And so what you're about to see is the moment where the mum turns, she's been playing with her child or daughter, and she turns away, and when she turns back, she's just stony-faced, not interacting with her daughter at all. And just watch the baby's reaction. This baby goes from feeling loved and welcomed and valued, and in an instant, to feeling like an outcast. And just watch how this baby reacts to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this and then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, What's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes, when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. horrible to watch isn't it it's really horrible and um but it just sort of very graphically shows that when you don't belong when you feel that you're not really part you kind of very quickly turn two minutes i think two minutes and that baby was desperate to get back into that feeling of inclusion our passage this morning is about a man with leprosy who feels like that he's excluded he's ignored um, he's an outcast because of this contagious skin disease that he's got. And sadly, many people in our society feel excluded, they feel ignored, they feel unloved, they feel unimportant. And like that baby, many people will literally try anything to get that sense of being seen, of belonging, of being loved. And actually, it gets to a point in our lives where we take any form of love, any form of affection, any form of attention, because anything will do. Anything is better than nothing. And so we do our level best and even make terrible mistakes. And don't we see that kind of thing in our young people? How many of our young people reach an age, they go off, they leave home, perhaps they go to uni, whatever it might be, they're going out for their first time without their mum and dad, and they're desperate to belong to a social group. And don't we see it in the drinking culture with our young people? Nothing wrong with having something to drink, that's okay. Um, however, how many of them just get smashed out of their mind, drunk on a regular basis, because that's what we do. That's what we all do. Can't you handle your drink? Come on, take a few more. Or they smoke something, or they do something they shouldn't do. Don't we see that with things like promiscuity amongst people? It's not about who you love, it's about how many people you've slept with. Well, haven't you had three or four sexual partners, or five or six, or ten or twenty? What's the matter with you? And people end up doing anything to belong. Because that's a social group, that's where everybody is. And I wanna, I've got to belong somewhere. And so I'll just do what they do. Don't we see it in the gang culture, um, not just in inner cities of big cities, but across our nation, across the world, where so many young people haven't got a stable home life. 
And in the end, go through sort of initiation, and they become members of gangs, and they do things that are truly terrible. Many people do things they shouldn't to belong somewhere they needn't, because they're desperate to belong somewhere. We're all desperate to belong and have that sense of identity. The world around us uh, offers us many places to belong, many places that promise to find our identity. The media don't always help. Like sugar coats, if you belong there, this is how you'll feel. And often when we get there, it's not quite as wonderful as the media tells us. Because not all places that offer us identity and a sense of belonging are healthy or good. And often the sacrifice for membership for certain social groups can be irreversible and very damaging. In fact, many people nowadays will go to great lengths to change everything about their physical appearance, everything about their, who they are, who they were born, claiming publicly, I finally found myself, when perhaps underneath they're still desperately searching for someone to give them a sense of identity and belonging, someone, somewhere, anywhere. And I just want to make a very small point to the Christians here this morning. Because across church history, some of God's people have been an obstacle for the broken coming to belong amongst us and truly belong. The church should be the most welcoming place on planet Earth. Somebody once said to me when they found out we had women's ministry and men's ministry, and they gave me a whole list of other different people groups. You could have one for that group and one for that group. He said, why can't you have somewhere where anyone can belong? And I said, I do. Half past ten on a Sunday morning. Because everybody is welcome to worship the King of Kings. Everybody is welcome in the presence of God. And let me just say, if you are a barrier to the broken feeling welcomed and belong, let me tell you, it will not go unnoticed by the King of Kings. Let's read those verses that Maya read to us from Matthew chapter 8. If you've got it open, that'd be great. It will appear on the screen. But it says, Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And we, we pity this poor man in Matthew chapter 8. We pity him. Uh, obviously, he did an excellent job explaining himself a bit early on. I'm staying in character. Um, he did a very good job. But he'd become an outcast from society simply because he'd contracted a contagious skin disease. Uh, Matthew uses the word leprosy, but in Greek that word leprosy is a blanket term for lots of different contagious skin complaints. And at the time of Jesus, if you were to contract one of these skin diseases, you would be separated off from the rest of society. No working, no people, you'd be very lonely, life would be very, very tough. You see, in the Old Testament, the laws that were given to God's people, Israel, uh, basically uh, set out all the things that would stop you worshipping a holy God. Your sin, deliberate or otherwise, and certain physical afflictions would stop you being able to go to the temple and worship God. They would make you ceremonially unclean. However, by the time of Jesus, that clear, fair teaching in the Old Testament had been warped into something unfair, something harsh, something horrible. And so people now felt excluded, they felt undervalued, they felt unappreciated, unloved, they felt that they were outsiders, unimportant. And maybe this morning you feel like an outsider. Maybe today through no fault of your own, maybe you feel dirty, 
Maybe you feel unclean. Maybe you feel alone at home, broken beyond repair. Perhaps you carry guilt from a past mistake that you just cannot shake. Maybe you are still doing a habit that you can't break and you feel worthless because of it. Maybe you've been treated badly in the past. Maybe you've experienced evil that you've just hidden away, hoping that you'll be able to process it over time. But it's changed you. You feel unlovable because of it. Maybe you just don't get on with people who struggle to form meaningful relationships. Well, just like last week when we saw how Jesus interacted with Martha and Mary through their loss, let's have a look at how Jesus interacts with this man through his feeling of being an outcast. The first thing, so uh, what does Jesus do? This man walks up and he kneels before Jesus. And what does Jesus do, first of all, with this man who's an outsider? Well, number one, in verse two, he welcomes him. It says in verse two, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. But just think, Jesus sees him coming a long way off. Somebody else would have said, whoa, wait there. I'm not going any closer to you because you've got a contagious skin disease. You stay there and we'll shout to each other. And if you need anything, maybe I'll throw it. A lesser man would have done that, wouldn't they? But the first thing Jesus does is allow this man to come right up to him in his presence. The man is welcomed in Jesus' presence. And Christ doesn't recall recoil in disgust before anything else happens in this story the man who is an outsider gets to belong he gets to belong before anything else today it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter even what's been done to you christ does not recoil when he sees you you get to belong before anything else and that matters matters more than we ever say as christians All are welcome at the feet of the Saviour, broken and all. No amount of skeletons can limit God's love in Christ for any of you or any of us or any people in this world. You see, even if the world despises you, Jesus will always welcome you. But it gets far richer than just simply that. In verse 1, we see that Jesus does something more wonderful. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. The picture in my mind is as Jesus walks down the mountain, there's hundreds of people literally behind him. I see him as first, and they're all behind him. That's what it says in verse 1. They're behind him. He's leading the crowd down the mountain. And then we see a man in the distance walking towards. So the whole crowd see the man. The whole crowd see Jesus. And they probably all think, what's he going to do? How is he going to treat this man with leprosy? How is he going to treat this man that everybody else puts on the outside? And what does Jesus do? Jesus welcomes him publicly. And I think that's wonderful. It's easy to love people privately. Send a little text message when no one knows what you're writing. But it's a totally different kind of love to stand up in front of your peers who may think you're loving the wrong person in the wrong way and do it that way and lose your reputation for what it's worth. But Jesus welcomes him publicly. And what's wonderful about this, this is very clever of Jesus. He was the best man who ever lived, let's face it. But he's just been up the mountainside with all these crowd of people going through preaching a talk called the Sermon on the Mount. You know why it's called the Sermon on the Mount? It's a sermon 
on the mount. Anyway, and so they're up on the mountain, and Jesus is preaching to them. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's talking to all these people about the coming kingdom of God and all the ethics of God's kingdom. Our world is broken. The ethics of this world are skewed and warped and not always right. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is coming, and this is how you're supposed to live. This is the kind of world God's building, and Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is awesome. Go in the extra mile. Love your neighbor. Do to others if you'd have them do to you. He's preached all this wonderful ethical teaching about the coming kingdom of God. And it's almost like he finishes his sermon and says, follow me and I'll show you what it looks like in practice. And he walks them down the mountain. I believe he did it deliberately knowing this man was going to come. So he would show that he was going to practice what he preached. God's people need to practice what he preached. Literally all the time. Gandhi once said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Ouch. We must practice what Christ preached. We must love the unlovable, welcome the outcast, and find the lost. Yes, find the lost. The love Jesus has for you and me is public. He is not ashamed, the Bible says, to call us friends. How many people love us in a very careful, limited way? But Jesus loves you unconditionally and publicly. But this story gets even more wonderful. In the beginning of verse 3, it says, Jesus reaches out his hand, reached out his hand, touched the man and said, I am willing. This is my favorite bit. Um, because who would touch a leper? Who would touch a man with a, skin, a contagious skin disease? Only a fool? No. The one who is able to infect people with holiness and peace and grace. Christ is unafraid to reach out across all sorts of boundaries, culture, and all sorts of things. For some people, maybe even the boundary of decency. You don't touch him, but Jesus says, I don't care, and puts his hand across. He breaks all the taboos and touches the untouchable. And do you know what? He still does. He still does. If you were to, you may not be aware, but a few years ago in the North West India, I had to work, sorry, I never reached really weak, that's right. Uh, Northwest India, um, there's a, a, a concentrated amount of uh, people in the lowest caste of the Hindu religion um, up there in the top part of India, I believe, and uh, in the, in the um, called the untouchables, the lowest of the low in the Hindu faith, and the untouchables. And the untouchables um, are just that, untouchable. They get all the terrible jobs. They're the ones that do the mucky, dirty jobs. They're undervalued. Um, they're unloved. They're right on the outskirts. They're um, total outsiders uh, within Hinduism. And do you know what happened a few years ago? The gospel was preached. And do you know what happened to the untouchables? Christ reached out to them. And in their thousands, they became Christians in that part of India. In their thousands. It's a true story. Because the untouchables felt the touch of Christ and the value and the love and the respect and the healing and the importance only Jesus can give a person. And it is the most wonderful thing. This morning, Jesus is reaching out to you. But you have to drop your guard and be brave and take his hand and let him stand you up and heal you. And then number four, Jesus changes him. Uh, The second half of verse three says, I am willing, be clean, Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony 
to them. But this story is far better than simply a message that Jesus accepts you and loves you just the way you are, despite your sin and brokenness. You see, Jesus accepts this man first with leprosy and all, but then he heals him. And that's a really important point. That's a really important point. You see something of Jesus in this story as well, that he's more than a man. Because in the Old Testament, only the priest was able to say to someone with leprosy, you're now clean and you can now worship God. The priest would say after seven days of being put out of the camp, okay, it's all gone, you're welcome back in, you can now go and worship God at the temple. Jesus is saying to this man, you're clean. He's saying, I'm the great high priest. He cleans him, he makes him well because he is the king on earth he is God's only son and this matters this moment where Jesus heals this man shouldn't be undervalued by his church this is a really important matter at a moment this is countercultural for the 21st century what is the message of the 21st century is it not very simplistic be who you are you are who you are And everyone should accept you for who you are, warts and all. If you have scars and brokenness and mistakes, that's just you. That's all right. Don't worry about it. That's who you are, and that's who they are, and that's who he is, and that's who she is. And that's just you. You're broken, you're a bit angry and a bit bitter, and and you think this and that, and that's all right. Your scars are you. Own them, be proud, fight the world, fight prejudice. Is that really good news? Are scars good news? A mistake's good news, is guilt good news, is brokenness good news, is anger good news, is bitterness good news, is error good news? No, 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 no. But our world trots out the same message week in, week out. Just be you. Who you are is who you're meant to be. I thought someone might join in with a song then. Never mind. Some of you wanted to. But that's only half the message, isn't it? You see, Christ loves a person just as they are. In fact, Christ loves you just as you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. The greatest showman. Wow, really? Woo, that's for us. I, I hate it. I hate it too. Rubbish. Anyway, I haven't got the soundtrack on my phone. Listen to it in the car regularly. Anyway. I see myself uh, as like Hugh Jackman in the movie, by the way. I've come to accept recently, through no fault of my own, that I'm no longer the Zac Efron character. Um, I'm probably more the the Hugh Jackman character. Anyway, we won't think about any more characters in case you try and give me another one. Anyway, but in the film, The Greatest Showman, which is the greatest film at the moment, um, the song, This Is Me, is the anthem of the 21st century, isn't it? It is our modern day um, national anthem, our modern day anthem. The message is that your brokenness is you that you should own it and be proud of it that's glass half empty good news let me tell you that is glass half empty good news nothing wrong with self-respect there's nothing wrong with saying actually this is what i stand for tough i've been like that and i am like that and that's okay to a point but your brokenness is you is that really good news that's glass half full good news you see jesus desires to set you free from those scars and that brokenness to wipe you clean to stand you up and make you brand new he desires to change you to restore you and to make you new our society teaches tolerance and that's good but more and more people feel more and more broken and more and more alone they have no foundation no identity they cry out who am i where do i fit because it's not enough just to say be who you are because who are you I tell you about the one that made you 
I'll tell you about the God that put every atom together, stitched you together in your mother's womb. He knows you better than anyone. He is the one that can tell you who the real you is. And so over and over and over in the New Testament, what do we see? We see sinful, we see the willful, we see the broken, we see the hurting, the disappointing, we see the sad, we see all of them welcome at the feet of Jesus. And in that same, and then we see that same Jesus then offer all of those people healing and life and hope and a, that a sense of identity that is more wonderful and more life-changing than anything else this world can offer. Full salvation, full good news. And so today, perhaps you feel on the edge. You need to come to Jesus Christ again. You might even be a Christian and feel like that. You need to come to Jesus Christ again. You need to come to faith in Christ and know him perhaps for the first time. You need to know his love, that he loves you unconditionally, that he gave his life for you on the cross, thinking of you, knowing you, wanting you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to receive life and peace and hope and that promise of everlasting life that goes through the grave to the other side. And he wants you to know his wonderful, wonderful, wonderful grace. Let me tell you, this man up here is nothing special. Really nothing special. But I wake up every day feeling amazing. Sometimes things creak when they shouldn't. And I make my mistakes. And I have my regrets. But I know that in Christ, I'm loved unconditionally. I know that through Christ, I have a hope that will go beyond the grave. I know that in Christ, he sees me not as I see me, but as he has made me, full of his righteousness and his perfection. Don't settle for making the best of your scars. Let Christ wipe them away. He welcomes every outcast home. Maybe this morning is time for you to come home. Shall we pray? Father God, we just lift up, Lord, this story in Matthew chapter 8. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the way your son is. Lord, he's so amazing. Lord, I love the fact that he just brings this crowd down to show them, Lord, what, what the kingdom of God looks like in reality. And Lord, it's messy and it crosses boundaries and it shocks people. But Lord, that's how you want your church to be. That's how you want your people to be, Lord. Standing where no one else will. Being brave enough, Lord, to put down our own reputations and stand with the broken, stand with the lost and love them. But Lord, I thank you that the gospel, the Christian message, isn't just half good news. But Lord, we accept you just as you are and that's it. I thank you that your gospel, your good news, Lord, is that we get to belong and then we get to change. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that we get to belong first, not second. You don't get, we don't get to belong, Lord, once we're perfect, once we're wonderful, once everything's fixed. We get to belong warts and all, scars and all, brokenness and all. And I thank you, Lord, that then when we belong, Lord, then you begin that process of healing. And it can be painful and it can be long and we can wonder why we, we started. But, Lord, in Christ, Lord, there is real, real life. And I thank you for the liberty that we have through the Holy Spirit as well. And, Father, for any here this morning, and, Lord, I'm sure that in any crowd of people, Lord, many will feel broken, many will feel like outcasts. Father God, I pray that we would all make that decision to trust in Jesus, to go publicly to trust in him, to fall at his feet and just say, help me, make me clean. And Lord, may they know through faith that he reaches his hand out and says, be clean, I am willing. And I thank you, Lord, for our saviour and our friend and our king. In his name, amen.